In his family, dying from heart disease at a young age was becoming the norm, and he was determined to be the exception. You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is Steve McKee, global copy desk editor at the Wall Street Journal and author of the new book, My Father's Heart, A Son's Journey. Mr. McKee, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thanks for having me, Susan. Appreciate it. Give us some history. How old were you when your father died? I was 16. Uh, was going to be 17 in November. My father died September 30th, 1969. He was, uh, he was 50. And tell us about that night. Well, let's see. Uh, best place to start is probably we were watching TV. And uh, in fact, we just finished watching a TV show called The Immortal. And I kind of like the irony of that. And then a new show came on TV called Marcus Welby, M.D. And my dad had just come back from the kitchen getting a beer or a soda or something. And he was sitting in his chair, quote, unquote, which is actually the left side of the, uh, the sofa. And I was sitting in my chair, which was this rocker, this brown swivel rocker that actually that we still have. And I actually heard something before I saw anything. And what I heard, the sound of kind of a thudding sort of a sound, and then air being pulled through clenched teeth, the sudden gasp. And I turned and looked, and there was my father back severely arched, pressed back into the couch, and his, his head thrown back, although he was very rigid. It was as if you could have taken a metal rod and stuck it all the way down, you know, from the top of his head all the way down through his spine. And then suddenly he started to pitch forward, sort of like snap forward and then suddenly snap back, probably did this two or three times. And I was actually up over top of him by the time he started to pitch back and forth. And when he would pitch back, again, he was very rigid, but his eyes would be looking right at me. My dad had beautiful green, I refer to him in the book as cut crystal green eyes. They were lifeless, but they were looking right at me. And I was kind of afraid to touch him. And he's continuing to sign the pitch back and forth, like I said, probably three or four times. And at which point, I ran right upstairs to the kitchen to the phone, uh, not, however, to call 911. This was 1969, and there was, there was no 911 in York, PA, back then. And uh, I was going to call my mother. She was playing bridge at a friend's house, probably about a half a mile away. Anyway, the phone was dead, and, uh, which was not all that unusual of an occurrence in our neighborhood. They were still building a lot of houses in the neighborhood, and they were constantly cutting phone lines. And so I was able to process that in just a, a split second, and, and then went back downstairs to the, to the TV room. At this point, my dad is no longer snapping back and forth. He's just sort of pushed back into the sofa, but he's gone pretty much lifeless. Not pretty much, completely lifeless. and just sort of slumped a little to his right on the sofa. And at which point, I did the only thing I figured I could do. I, I, I just ran out of the house and ran up to the, uh, our neighbor up above. We lived on the side of a pretty steep hill and ran up to the neighbors up above us, banged on the door there. There was nobody there, and then ran back out, had to go around this hedgerow that took me out into the street, ran down the street in front of our house. I could see right into the house, and, you know, the glow of the TV went down to our neighbors down to our right. There was nobody home there, and so at this point I come running back into the house, and I can remember very distinctly at that moment, in some fashion, thinking, you know, this is what panic feels like. This is it. You know, what do you do now? So I did, the only thing I could think of again is I ran upstairs, grabbed a blanket off of mom and dad's bed and came downstairs and wrapped it very carefully around dad. And at this point, he's, he's very much slumped to his right. 
arms kind of lifeless at his side, and he's also this white, foamy mucus stuff, for lack of a better way of saying it, is it's just sort of oozing from his mouth. So now I'm, you know, this is what panic feels like. What do you do? I just, I ran out of the house again and started up past the neighbor up the hill and was going to go to the next neighbor up. And as I'm running up the sidewalk, a cop car comes cruising down past us. I lived in an upper middle class kind of neighborhood. A cop car was kind of unusual. I'm putting two and two together here on my own, thinking that it was because the, the, the phone lines were out and they had extra cops around. Anyway, he just is cruising past. I immediately turned and started running after him and yelling at him. He, he's not slowing down, and he's not hearing me, but he's going slow enough that I'm actually able to overtake him. And I catch up to him right at our house and start pounding on the trunk, at which point, of course, he comes to an immediate stop, and that kind of splays me over the trunk. He gets out of the, out of the car, and for the first time ever, I tell at least some of this story. And then he walks into the house, and that's one thing I say in the book, My Father's Heart, that, that I distinctly remember how he just very calmly walked into the house. So we get into the house, and by now my dad is pretty much all but slid right off the sofa. His feet are kind of up underneath him, and his hips are almost off the sofa, and he's kind of precariously perched between falling over and staying upright. And at this point, the policeman goes over and takes uh, the index finger of his right hand and puts it under my dad's chin and kind of flops his head back, checking for a pulse. And this pushes my dad's head back into the uh, underneath the lamp on the end table. And I just remember seeing just how, you know, his face real chalky. And I remember that could see the, the stubble on his chin kind of standing up. My dad was, was quite meticulous in his appearance. And I can remember thinking, he's going to want to shave that tomorrow. And again, I think it's interesting to note that the cop didn't start CPR. There was no CPR. That wasn't what we did back then. He started calling for an ambulance. At that point, the cop had checked for a, uh, a pulse. It seemed like a good, a good idea. So I sat down next to my dad and took his, his right wrist and started looking for a pulse. And at this point, my dad's head kind of flopped over to the right, and he's just kind of one eye open, one eye kind of half, one eye shut, and he's kind of staring at me, and I'm taking his pulse. And as I say in the book, I, I feel that I found his pulse, although I'm willing to admit that that's kind of urban legend, you know, McKee family legend at this point. In fact, one doctor who I talked to asking for a diagnosis of how my father died said, I probably found my own, my own pulse at that point. But anyway, what I felt was some real quick beats and then just a few weak beats and then there was nothing. At which point I looked at the cop and said, he's dead. And in a certain sense, declaring my father dead. And, and the cop had by, had by now had called for an ambulance. And so at that point, I just ran out of the house down the hill to go get my mom. Why did you decide to write about this experience? Well, I've actually been writing about it for a while. In terms of how it came to be a book is sort of a whole separate story, but when I was a senior in college, I took a writing course my senior year. And, of course, the first, one of the first writing assignments is write about something you know. And there was absolutely no question what I was going to write about. And it was going to be the night my father died. And I sort of fictionalized it a little bit, talked about my dad, who like, was a fisherman and a hunter and stuff like that, and then got into the night my father died. And there are, in fact, a few sentences from that essay that I did that made it you know, verbatim into the book. I guess late 19, it would have been 1997, I guess it was. By then I was working at the Wall Street Journal, and I wrote a long essay just about how I had spent all these years after my father's heart attack trying to keep myself in really good shape. I made a promise to myself that I would stay in shape. And then I again described the night my father died. And then jumping forward to 2005, I did one of those all-day physicals, the real, you know, all the whiz-bang, you know, heart imaging and all that. And I was told that I have heart disease despite my best efforts 
And I then wrote another essay. The same editor was in charge of the same section, and he said to go for it. And then wrote that sort of coming to terms with my heart disease after everything that I had seen with my father and everything I had done. And then it was actually the combination of those two articles from the journal that sort of created the foundation for a proposal to write a book. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is Steve McKee discussing his new book, My Father's Heart, A Son's Journey. Mr. McKee, what troubled you most about your father's death? Well, I, uh, he had had a heart attack in 1963. He died in 69, so there was a six-year interval that's what troubled me the most, is that between his heart attacks, I never felt, even at the time, when there wasn't a whole lot of information about what one should be doing, I never felt that he really did anything to not have another heart attack or to, you know, what we now would refer to, you know, lifestyle changes. It's not what they were calling it back then. You know, he was a big smoker, smoked three packs a day. And even before his first heart attack, I hated the fact that he smoked. Although I'm sure back then it was lung cancer was what the worry was. I, I was always on him to quit, and he would try every now and again. And then after he had his first heart attack, he could, you know, the doctor basically told him, you know, you need to stop smoking. And he did stop for a while, but he never really quit. He stopped for about three months. And then once he went back to work, he was a, he was a high-powered executive at Coal Steel Equipment Company in York, PA, in charge of the warehouse, you know, boxes in, boxes out. It was a real, you know, a 3D puzzle everything in constant motion, and he loved his job and a lot of stress and went right back to the smoking. I think you sort of need to keep things in, in the context of the times. He also needed to exercise. And, you know, in 1968, Kenneth Cooper published Aerobics, which was sort of the seminal moment, I think, for we need to get out and exercise. Our lifestyle is killing us. And, and somewhere in there, I made this promise to myself that I would always keep myself in shape. It was Clearly, I did because I have clearly I kept myself in very good shape. Uh, and in fact, when I got the diagnosis of the heart disease, you know, the the doctor said there's no way to know for sure, but there's a real good possibility here that you're here to get this diagnosis because I kept myself in really good shape. What feedback have you received from doctors about the book? Well, I I actually talked to a dozen doctors asking them to uh, diagnose, quote-unquote, my dad's heart attacks. I went through the entire story that, that I just told you about how my father died and everything that I saw and then gave them first heart attack and the smoking and, the, you know, the two eggs for breakfast. And my dad loved ice cream for his snack before going to bed every night and, and asked them to diagnose this because we don't have the autopsy report. We just have the death certificate that says post-right coronary occlusion. What was interesting is I thought I was going to find some kind of closure by talking to these doctors, and I did find closure, but not in any way in the way that I thought that I would, because I got a full realm of, of diagnoses. I got aortic dissection. I also got peritonitis, and that he had actually had a heart attack a couple of weeks before, you know, just sort of speculating, and that this was sort of like a recurrence of that. And, and a couple of people said it couldn't have been the right coronary. The kind of heart attack you're describing, it had to be, what is it, the left anterior descending, you know, the Widowmaker. And, and so the closure I got was that I'm not going to get closure. But it was closure because, you know, I was 16 years old and I watched him die and how did it happen. And the fact is, after all these years, I, I'm never really going to know. In terms of, of feedback I've gotten from doctors since then, I got a lot of feedback from doctors after the second article in the, in the journal when I described that I went on a statin because of my heart disease. And there I got the full realm of doctors telling me that, you know, statins are the way to go. I got some doctors saying that statins are not the way to go. 
you know, I got the full rainbow of experience from, from doctors telling me what to do. I also got a lot of people who weren't doctors, but who have their own situations and have clearly spent a lot of time figuring out what they need to do on their own. I really respect everyone, no matter how they come at it or, or how far afield it may seem. I get it, and I respect the fact that they have their situation, and they're facing it the way they think they should. And I think that has merit on its own level, even if traditional established medicine would sort of say that some of the stuff is, is really kind of out there. Steve McKee, thank you so much for joining us to discuss your new book, My Father's Heart, A Son's Journey. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library of on-demand podcasts. Or call us toll-free with your comments and suggestions at 888 md XM 157. Thank you for listening.